Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie. Can't get enough of your love. Douglas. Yeah? Are yeah. you are you a frog? It's no. kind of froggy compare, you know? I'm very white. Oh, okay. I was getting a little more cartoon frog than very white, but but Man, this place. I'm telling you, how stuff works, you try to bust out an accent here or any sort of vocal nuance, and you have a bunch of experts <laughs> chiming in. But no, it's good that you went for Barry White, because today we're talking about the Barry White effect. We're talking a little bit about Barry White, a little bit about uh, Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. throwing in some koalas here and there. But but first, let, let's just talk very briefly about Marilyn Monroe and Barry White from sort of a cultural standpoint. Like, both of these are icons of sex appeal that really may not hold up, as we were discussing earlier, to, uh, to to modern pop culture standards, and certainly to any individual out there. You might not think, oh, well, you know, Barry White is the, the be-all of, of male sexuality, or you might, you might not have Marilyn Monroe posters all over your dorm room. Um, but they, they still have this sort of iconic um, power to them. Yeah, they do. They are um, j- just brimming with sexuality. Yes. And some of that is because of the type of music that Barry White created. It was very much like, I'm going to put the record player on and we're going to get down, right? Yeah, he wasn't doing historical ballads about, uh, you know, about uh, battles in, in, uh, in history or anything. It was very much get down to business. And in terms of Marilyn Rowe, I mean, she is sort of like a female through the cultural lens completely, you know, um, caricaturized, uh, sort of the Betty Boop, a living Betty Boop. Yeah, yeah and she, those were the roles she played. I don't recall ever having seen a Marilyn Monroe movie where she threw a karate chop or, um, you know, or, or fought an alien on a spaceship. It was, it was very much Marilyn Monroe as Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, copy and paste, repeat. Right, that was her purview, right? She wasn't trying to put forward this idea of a balanced idea of what a woman could be or should be. Right. Uh, so here we have these big iconic presences and we have a couple of studies that actually relate to them. And at the bottom of all of this, there's this idea that we might actually have a voice prejudice. We might hear certain voices and gravitate toward them. And we're going to explore this idea. Yeah. And, and that in and of itself, I mean, we can all relate to that. There are certain voices that are going to annoy us in our lives and we're going to have certain uh, uh, tastes uh, that revolve around other voices, like it, like some people are going to be really annoyed by a high nasal voice or or even a, a really deep voice. I can see that as being annoying. I mean, there's so many, like everything that we've discussed con- concerning uh, where the human condition meets uh, Darwinian evolution. There's there's what we have evolved to be, and mm-hmm. then there's the complications. Uh, that have arisen from the ascension of human consciousness and the layers of culture we put over everything. Well, and one of the ways that we try to cut through all of that and try to figure out whether or not there's some sort of baseline to uh, voices and the way that we, re- we react to them is we look to the animal world. Yes. Specifically resonance frequencies in animals. So we've seen studies of animals and birds that reveal that listeners can figure out body size and what the intent of the caller is um, based on frequency, voice quality, and format spacing. So this format spacing is really important because as we're going to go on and talk about these lower pitches, those are really at, uh, are at the heart of what makes something very low pitch. So essentially, lower pitched vocalizations 
are less space between something called formants. Okay, and these formants, uh, these frequencies are emphasized frequencies within vocalizations. In humans, formants are essential to speech, and they help us to distinguish between vowels. So, in effect, an animal's roar or vocal communication uh, of its choice is going to be a key to its size. The lower, more baritone sounds are going to say, hey, I'm a big uh, animal, as mm-hmm. opposed to the higher ones that would say, hey, I'm a smaller animal. Yeah, I mean, there's this idea that pure tone-like sounds are more likely to suggest a smaller size, submissiveness and fear. <laughs> Does that sound Yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, now, one particular study, because uh, because you want specific examples of this, I'm sure, um, we looked at a 2011 study published in the Journal of Experimental Biology, and they looked at koala bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, koala bears, if, if you don't know anything about them, you might think of them as purely asexual creatures that live only on, um, you know, tree limbs or in baby cribs. You know, they're stuffed koala bears. I mean, they're very adorable looking. But, of course, like any animal, they engage in a rather raucous uh, sexual life all their own. Um We've uh, we've discussed in the past uh, lesbian koalas that will uh, push one another up against uh, uh, plants and uh, and have their way, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know the koalas are a decent place to look uh, for examples of uh, of this kind of vocal frequency uh, and as used as a, a kind of mating uh, signature. And indeed, they found that by um, that the that the male koalas advertise their size by changing the resonance of their calls. Uh, lower resonance, uh, again called uh, formants, have a more baritone quality, and that just is telling the uh, lady koalas out there, "Hey, I'm big, I'm a big koala." And the the underlying theme here is that I'm a big koala that can fight off other koalas. So if you if you hear me, guys, know that I am uh, a rather uh, sizable opponent, and you don't want to mess with me. And ladies. I am a preferred mate because as a large koala, I'm more likely to give you large koala offspring who will in turn, uh, have, uh, mating success in their lives. So there's a very, uh, you know, hardcore Darwinian message here. Uh, it, I mean, it all comes down to the passing of genes from one generation to the next and trying to gain the next generation for success. Yeah. And, uh, this actually points to the, the research of a group of 20 male koalas during the 2010 koala breeding season at Lone Pine Koala. Sanctuary in Australia, and usually these guys, these little cute marsupials, are pretty quiet most of the year. But when it is mating season, they do have that deep, choppy growl. Yes. And so, as you say, the the promise here and the the research that was borne out here is that again, there's a larger body size, head size that's correlated with the lower frequencies and this idea of, hey, I'm going to create more competitive offspring for you. And in the case of something like a fallow deer, a low-frequency growl that's heard off in the distance might discourage another would-be suitor uh, to a fallow doe, let's say, to retreat from the area. So it's not just like, hey, I- I'm going to give you some really sturdy uh, youngins, but it could also be something of a play that's kind of like, hey, uh, you better step off because I'm in the area. All right, so this all leads to the inevitable question. What about humans? Is it is it the same with us? Is what it, about Barry White? And indeed, how, how does Barry White factor into this? Because Barry White, just to to, uh, to remind everyone, was a very big man. I mean, he, he struggled with obesity uh, you know, most of his uh, adult life, but he was also 6'4". He was a big dude, uh, an, an imposing figure. But also one that uh, that again became iconic because he had this uh, this kind of soft uh, uh, teddy bear kind of uh, quality to him as well. Like you never doubted that he could uh, 
he could stand up for himself and he could uh, put you in your place, but he was approachable. He was uh, he, he he had this lovable charm uh, and charisma about him. Well, there is a study uh, that was published in PLS One called "Human Vocal Attractiveness as Signaled by Body Size Projection," and this looks at both high frequency and low frequency, and it found. Let's look at the males first. That male listeners preferred female voices with high pitch, breathy voice and wide format spacing because it correlated with a smaller body size. Does this sound like anyone you've ever known, yeah. Mr. President? That's yeah, the, that the Marilyn awful. Monroe voice. No, yeah. I think that was that was pretty spot on. It's kind of hard to do. <laughs> um, now, a breathy voice is indicative of the higher pitches that you would see in younger, thinner vocal cords. So mm-hmm. there's this idea that it is uh, suggesting that it's a youthful person. Um, and then it is achieved by increasing the amount of air passing through vocal cords, giving it an aspirated quality. As for female listeners, of course, they f- they prefer that deep, husky male voice. Uh, but again, not only does it need to be a deep voice, it needs to be that breathy voice. And again, think of Barry White. Uh, it, the the breathiness to it, it uh, has this kind of calmness to it. It's saying, "Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big guy, uh, but I'm not a dangerous guy. I'm an approachable guy. I'm a lovable guy." Uh, in, for instance, uh, John Goodman's voice, we were, we were discussing earlier, uh, generally does not come up uh, as possessing Barry White qualities. Even though John Goodman is uh, is of course a big man with, with a, a very deep voice, with a very deep voice. But in most of the uh, most like interviews I've seen with him, and, and certainly in any of his film roles, he tends to have have a very abrasive quality and uh, and it's kind of a, a fast talker much of the time and kind of a grumbling uh, nature to everything he says that so it doesn't have that breathy quality it doesn't he doesn't have that teddy bear quality that you get with Barry White and that uh, as this uh, study reveals that's what uh, uh, female listeners are supposedly going for. Yeah, the idea is that that breathiness kind of mitigates any sort of aggressivity that might be perceived in the voice mm-hmm. so you go ah oh, what a gentle giant. <laughs> So you'll see information all throughout scientific literature that a deep voice is part and parcel of sexual selection and that men with low frequency, short space formats have more sexual hookups. You'll see this in Mm -hmm. literature. In fact, uh, there's a paper by the name of Voice Pitch Predicts Reproductive Success in Male Hunter Gatherers. And it bears out the fact that the men of the Hadza people, these are Tanzanian hunter-gatherers sired far more children than their higher-pitched counterparts. Now, it's important to note that they went to a secluded community like this to conduct this study, because once you start factoring in things like birth control, uh, that just kind of skews the whole uh, uh, human mating uh, platform. Now, one of the things that skews this idea of uh, lower-pitched voices as part and parcel of sexual selection, a.k.a. evolution, is a paper published by Lee Simmons et al. in the December 2011 issue of PLOS1. And it says, hey, men with deeper, attractive voices may have lower sperm quality than men with less attractive voices. And this was uh, determined by semen analysis, which revealed that men with deeper voices have lower scores on seven motility parameters. Now, we're talking about 54 male participants from the University of Western Australia. Okay, They were recruited for this. And this is just one study. But I think it gives you the idea that it's not quite as cut and dried as some of the literature in the past would put out there. And researchers believe that the lower sperm quality reflects a trade-off that comes with having to compete for mates. Hmm. Okay. So because if you were a, um, say, the, the squirrelier 
uh, male with a higher voice or the sort of annoying voice, you uh, you may not get that many shots at the prize. So when you right. do, it's got to count. But if you are the Barry White of the koala world, you know you've got numerous opportunities to hit the bullseye. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about something else that actually may trump the Barry White and Marilyn Monroe voice, and it has to do with our own voices. All right, we are back, and during the break, uh, Noel, our producer, myself, and Robert had this quick little discussion of who could actually uh, take on the mantle of Barry White in these days. Who is the modern Barry White who can deliver all that sultry fuzziness? Yeah, and I was thinking, like, I was thinking, okay, John Goodman, no, that didn't work. And I was, like, running through all these different names of, like, sort of big or deep-voiced uh uh, you know, male actors or celebrities, and none of them were really clicking. Like, all of them just seemed a little off. But Noel nailed it. He said, I got it. And he said, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, because Scarlett Johansson has this wonderful, like, husky female voice mm-hmm. that I, I venture to say a lot of people find uh, attractive. It's great. And what I love about it is it's this little gender twist, because really it's sort of if you took all of the best aspects of Marilyn Monroe's voice mm-hmm. and Barry White's and put it together. And, I, man, I would love to have her voice. That would be great. It is It is a really good voice. Uh, I've admired it since, uh, what was it, uh, Ghost World back in the day. Yeah. Well admired. Yeah. Well done, Scarlett. All right. So we, we may love all the huskiness, the breathiness, but it turns out that ultimately we just love to hear ourselves in others. That trumps everything else. Yeah, a new uh, University of British Columbia study finds that we prefer voices that are similar to our own. And the reason here is because they uh, convey that e- these voices convey a soothing sense of community and social belongingness. It's the known quantity, right? Right. So we are automatically we connect and we begin to empathize with someone else if they sound like us. And Molly Babel, great last <laughs> name, by the way, a professor in the Department of Linguistics and her colleagues at the University of California, Santa Cruz, asked college-age participants in California to rate the attractiveness of 30 male voices and 30 female voices reading isolated words. And these 60 voices represented geographical areas west of the Mississippi River. Now, one of the things that stood out is that the, the California folks, the participants, had a really strong preference for female voices that pronounced the the ooh vowel, the double O vowel, sound from a word like goose further forward in the mouth as opposed to the um, ooh sound that someone in Fargo, North Dakota, might make when saying goose, goose. In that case, the word is originating deeper back in the mouth. Yeah, this was, uh, this was fascinating because uh, on one hand you have to sort of Realize that yeah, at the end of the day, when you're when you're thinking about what's attractive and what's not attractive in another human being, um, you're you're getting down to are, are these people I want to spend time with, or in the in the case of a potential mate, is this someone I want to to spend uh, an, an exorbitant amount of time with, and uh, and and so you're going to want somebody, or you're going to want people that you have things in common with, that you share some sort of sense of community. Uh, and then this, you know, this goes back through you know, thousands and thousands of years of human history. You know, you want, people need to belong. They need to mm-hmm. belong to a group in order to survive. There's a survival advantage in being able to, to, to sync with those around you. Yeah, and I think that is, it's interesting that that is more powerful than this sort of veiled, idea that a breathy voice, a husky voice is going to deliver on, on sex, um, 
essentially that's what we're thinking, right? Yeah. When we're thinking about Marilyn Monroe or Barry White, um, and that it really does the sense of community trumps that promise, that suggestion. And the only thing that kind of gets in the way of this idea of community and familiarity is the foreign language paradox. Yes. And and I kept thinking about this uh, myself when I was reading a lot of this initial stuff, because I, I was thinking, OK, what are the voices that I would say I you know, objectively find uh, uh, attractive? I would say that like a like in male voices, like a British accent mm-hmm. and in, in, in uh, among the ladies, a German accent. Really? Now, yeah. Like the German accent. I don't know. There's something like strong and commanding about a, a, a German accent. Anyway. Well, that's the that even real German. I don't. I don't yeah. Know. That's rapid, my friend. Well, but it did. I know. But you didn't put your heart into it. Hosenfeffer. <laughs> See. Okay. You're. That's. Okay. Though that's not a good example. But. Um, but still, I'm, you're like you're ruining it for me. You're, Julie. You are. You're Stop. ruining it for me. Okay. But see, so that's what I would say if someone were to ask me. But of course, in in reality, I did not marry anyone with a with a German accent or a British accent, and uh, and and so I, I end up sort of defaulting to the argument that you end up marrying someone who uh, or choosing a partner that sounds more like you, somebody who is, uh, in in my case, someone who uh, was raised in the South but has like less of a Southern accent. Uh, my Michigan people will tell you right now I wasn't raised in the South. Okay. <laughs> but I have been here long enough that I've taken on the twang. That's for sure. Um, Professor Babel, again, she says that once you're outside of a certain range of familiarity, novel and exotic sounding voices might become more attractive. She says we all have to keep in mind that we find some accents more preferable than others because of social stereotypes that are associated with them. Hmm. And I thought, you know what, I think she's right. I'm kind of a sucker for that. Because I'm a sucker for a British accent because I think that it, it, you know, is endowed with a bunch of different things for me, like worldliness Mm -hmm. and wit. Now, of course, both of us, when we're talking about British accents, we're probably talking about very specific uh, British accents. We're thinking thinking more about, like, uh, Ben Kingsley and, uh, like, Tom Hiddleston, that kind of of accent, rather than, like, a strong Birmingham uh, England accent. Yeah, and I'm not thinking Cockney, and I'm not thinking Downton Abbey. (laughs) either. The Cockney accent is kind of sexy in its own right, you know? Eh, I suppose it can be, yes. (laughs) But again, the the idea that of an exotic voice is a a voice that is is new, it's novel, and maybe a little dangerous, and that does appeal to the novelty-seeking aspects uh, of an individual. You know, we want new experiences, we want new ideas, and we've, uh, we've podcasted on this before. So, you, you could definitely see where you would gravitate towards individuals with those qualities. And you're projecting your fantasies onto that. Too. Right. And, and it's kind of, so we end up seeing the situation where there's, there are the, the voices that sound like our own, and those are cherished. And then there's the, the voices far away that sound nothing like our own, and those are cherished. It's that gulf in between that just turns us off, you know? Like, yeah. oh, they're saying their, 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 vow, their vowels are coming out just a little weird, and I don't like it. Yeah, it's the other, right? Yeah. It's a, and we always have a fear of the other, so uh, it's interesting to see it played out like that. All right, so that's pretty much an overview of your Barry Whites, your Melon and Rose out there. Also, I have a video on this topic. And in it, I'm going to reveal the real reason why Marilyn Monroe spoke like a doe-eyed, thin and re-voiced gal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All I'm right. going to reveal it here. you got to go to uh, YouTube, Mind Stuff Show. Yeah. Check it out. Also, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That, of course, is the, the mothership. You'll find links out to uh, all of our stuff there. You'll find links to our Facebook, 
our Twitter, our Tumblr page, our Google+. Plus. Uh, you name it, we probably signed up for it at one point or another. And uh, as well as all of our, our podcast episodes going all the way back through our history, uh, you'll find all of our blog posts, stufftoblowyourmind.com. Check it out. Throw us some traffic. Uh, we love it when you do. So if you guys have some thoughts on this, you see that Marilyn Monroe video and you have some questions or you, you've got a qualm there about some Marilyn Monroe stuff, or you have some ideas about Barry White and the reasons why we're attracted to certain voices, you can email us at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 